So who of the young players do you, do you see has staying power with this team? Well, they haven't won a game since the last time Luis Montero played. So <laughs> take that for what it's worth. Let's go! All right, everybody, welcome to this ninth episode of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, live in Rip City, and I got with me my man, Sage, live and direct from Southern Oregon. How's the heater going, Sage? I actually bought a second one. Okay, looks like it might be a chilly winter. It is. Uh, Probably not as chilly as the Trailblazers shooting tonight in San Antonio, and with us to talk on this episode is our very first guest. You may know him from the Real GM forums or Rip City 2. Uh, he goes by the handle at TBPUP22, also known as Larry. So thank you, Larry, for joining us. Um, first, give us a little insight on how you became a big Trailblazer fan. Boy, this you're asking to be dated, for me to be dated a long time. I was just a little tiny kid. My dad worked at a school. I would stay after sometimes times and and shoot in a very empty gym by myself for a long time sometimes if i was there late we'd just listen to the games on the radio or at home and i would have this little tiny transistor at home and you know i'm supposed to be in bed my dad would come check on me i've got this thing under the pillow playing as quiet as i can but i remember when they won i school was out because this was what they would have been clearing to june school was out and i had that radio and for some reason i was at the school i don't remember what day it was whether dad was just there on a weekday, weekend, I have no idea what day it was, but I remember running down the hall to the gym just as fast as I could go with that radio. And just ever since, I, I recorded on tape deck, and who knows how old I was, maybe 10 on tape deck, the Bill Shonley call of the lob from Kermit Washington to Billy Ray Bates at the horn. Oh, I would yes. play that on my tape deck. This tells you how old I am. I would play that on my tape deck just like every day, just listen to it. I, I loved it. And Philly was really good that year. Could you tell from our title podcast, Holy Backboard, that it is a Shonleyism? Oh, yeah. Well, and, and this Shonleyisms, I love how they still. Colin Cowherd now has his own show, but he basically introduces his show with wherever you may be. And, and he got that growing up around here from Bill Shonley. I mean, just an iconic voice. Every time I hear him, Unfortunately, whenever a blazer ends up passing or if they're doing a, a tribute video, it's his voice that always brings the chills down my spine and all over my body. I mean, he is, he is Rip City. He embodies it. So we had to kind of dedicate our show to him. I was a kid growing up. I used to live on those uh, video yearbooks they released during that three-year span from 90 to 92. And there was a call when Portland was at the Coliseum against the Hawks. It was fourth quarter in 91. Buck gets blocked by Neek, gets tapped out to Porter, hits not a game-winning three, but pretty much game-winning three, and he just goes rip city, holy backboard. So that stayed in my mind forever. So I definitely feel you there. Love the Shans. But uh, overall, who would you say is your top three favorite Blazers of all time? Well, my first one, and, and I used to play with, with some friends when I'm just little, little tiny. I couldn't even get the basketball up to the hoop, but, you know, we would take turns being. And I, I could name off, sadly, not only the Blazers lineup, but most of the Philadelphia 76ers lineup. I mean, guys like Steve Mix that you would just never heard of 
we we would take turns playing those guys. The my first big blazer hero, my mom, we lived in and and Dylan, I grew up in southern Oregon, so the Blazers were making a summer off-season trip down around some of the small towns, and Dave Twardzik and Billy Ray Bates came down to Roseburg. My mom knew nothing about sports, but she knew I was a huge Blazer fan, so she made me the original red Blazer uniforms, a, a T-shirt, not a tank top, a T-shirt and shorts with the stripes and the numbers, and I went to see the Dave Twardzik and Billy Ray Bates in that, and Billy Ray Bates signed some memorabilia for me being 10 at the time i mean i was just i was in blazer heaven it was and and they both they both kind of commented on the uniform because they're like well wow where'd you get that (laughs) my mom made it it's a mom special oh yeah and so and she has no idea you know how much that meant or she knew nothing about the blazers but that was billy ray bates and especially you know he had about a year and a half that was really good for the blazers Clyde Drexler is pretty much who I grew up with. That was my uniform number playing ball in high school and college. And now I just I follow the team. I, I don't have that teenage or childhood just like basketball crush that I did when I was a kid. But there's certainly players now that you have an affinity for. You Damian Lillard made a lot of Blazer fans for life in that playoff series when he grabbed the mic and yelled Rip City. I mean, that's an iconic Blazer moment. I mean, arguably, that's got to be maybe top five, that shot. I know it only got us to the second round, but being, what, 14, 15 years without getting past the first round, to do it in walk-off fashion, incredible. I think what the city loves about Damien is he embraces them and they embrace him. So I think there is that connection with the younger generation, the same way that you know the 77 team had and the same thing that the early 90s had. You got Drexler and Porter. They really... We're out and about in the community, and I remember waiting in line forever at, at the Albany Mall to get Clyde Drexler's autograph when I was eight. So I definitely can, I feel the same type of emotions about those early players. As, as you grow up, you start to realize it is a bit of a, a business, unfortunately. So once they traded Travis Outlaw, I got to meet him a couple times, and he was one of my favorites. I really started to not hang on to players as much as I did because you realize the guys like Stockton and Duncan you know, they don't stay with the same team for the whole entire span of their career. So it's tough to see him come and go. So definitely root for the front of the jersey a little bit more. Speaking of the Blazers, six-game losing streak. They dropped to 4-8 and eight on the season. They had all the chances in the world tonight to beat the Spurs. They ended up falling 93-80. to 80. This is actually their first time losing when holding an opponent under 100 points. I'm looking at my notes. Really didn't start taking many until past the third quarter. I mean, it's just an ugly game. No rhythm. Then all of a sudden, they kind of, you look up at the scoreboard, and it's, what, a six, five-point game? Dame starts getting hot, but then that Wiley veteran, uh, Ginobili. They just, the Spurs just had an answer. I wasn't overall too impressed with the Spurs. I felt like their bench was giving us more fits, and as they did last Wednesday as well. But for a team that has championship aspirations, I know it's November, and I know it's the Spurs and Popovich, but they supposedly brought in Aldridge to you know, light them and challenge the Warriors, but I'm just not seeing it from the Spurs. What do you guys think? You know, that that is a lot of talent, and that is a really deep team. In fact, the Blazers probably in the first two games have played their starters straight up. As bad as they were this game, the, 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 the Spurs starters were not much better. And in the first game, the Blazers starters were better. They are tremendously deep. They're built to rest guys during this regular season and still have a really good record. I don't know if they get into the playoffs 
where you know you're not going eight nine deep you're probably only going seven a i don't know that anyone can play with the warriors right now but they're going to come they're going to come down to earth a little bit great start they're having and steph curry you watch steph curry it, it gives you hope that that you know little guys can still play in the nba because he's not a physical dominating guy he doesn't have hops but my god he's he's on another planet right now and even though he won the mvp last year to me, LeBron James is still the best player in the NBA. I don't know that that's true this year. It's like the old Michael Jordan. You know, Other players would win it, but it was pretty much accepted Jordan was the best player in the league. Curry might be taking that this year. However, I don't know if the Spurs can beat the Warriors in a seven-game series. I don't know if they could beat the Cavs in a seven-game series. If, if all three of those teams are healthy, Pop will certainly have this team playing better. LaMarcus will fit in better than he is right now. I don't know that they get one more ring for Duncan. Yeah, I mean, you look at Popovich, and normally that would just be the trump card. But we've seen the Warriors, Steve Kerr, and completely turned that franchise around. They're winning with Luke Walton at the helm right now. So they've almost instilled a Spurs type of play and plug system where it doesn't matter who's there. An executive um, on the staff, they're just, you know, they, they keep humming along. But I think the key for San Antonio is LaMarcus Aldridge. The way you can attack a team like Golden State or even Cleveland is going inside. You know, he's just been so inconsistent. He, In his one return to Rip City, he does get 23 points on 50% shooting. Only six boards, though. But then you see tonight, he just looks completely out of sync. Takes only eight shots, gets six points. Only finds himself at the line two times. Just doesn't look like he has found the rhythm in San Antonio. Um... I've always thought he was more of a volume scorer. He needed a high usage to put up those numbers. He's going to need to learn to be like a David West, who they already have, where he just gets a couple shots, but he's got to be a much more high-efficient player. Yeah, and that's not Aldridge, and I'm not sure he becomes this at this stage in his career. For him to have an impact on a game, he pretty much has to score because he's he's not going to block shots. He's not going to get a lot of assists. He's not. He's going to play solid defense down on the block, but if you take him outside or move him around side to side a little bit, he's not going to be. He's not going to be that great. Apparently, he was so frustrated tonight that he turned the Blazers' hot water off. If you heard about that, they had yeah, cold I mean, water we, showers. Between the rats and the snakes and the hot water and that terrible PA music, let's just, let's just not ever play at AT and T Center ever again. What was with the music tonight? Oh my gosh, make it stop. And I I looked at my channel, so I turned it down and I'm still hearing it. You know, Casey Holdall, who's a beat writer for the team, had a great tweet. He's like, I cannot believe Greg Popovich signed off on live music every time they have the ball. Maybe that's their issue because they just looked completely out of sync. But when both teams are out of sync, talent usually trumps youth. That's what we saw tonight. I want to go back to Curry a little bit. Sage actually had a, a good point on an episode or two ago talking about the Jordan rules. Is it oh, going to yeah. come down to that? Sage, is it going to come down to that for teams trying to stop this guy? I, I think it might. But again, if you're rough with him, it's going to piss him off. So if it, if you piss off Curry, he's going to just drain threes on you. So I I don't know the way to stop him. I think it's got to be stopping everybody else and just letting Curry get 40 but not allowing clay not allowing all the rest of the talent to get off you know how how would you defend um curry would you let him take the majority of the shots or do you want to see the others beat you put a tall guy on clay thompson i would let harrison barnes go off like the spurs did i I don't know how you stop 
Curry because no one really has. I mean, I think Pete, that's why people like Matthew Della Dova because he was physical with them. But and he played so hard, the dude yeah. almost he he did check himself into a hospital for exhaustion. Yeah, that's what Steph Curry does to people. Exactly. But that I mean, he's on another planet. I, I think even though we're what ten, eleven games into the season, I would be shocked if all things stay stay as they are. Health health in particular, that it doesn't come down to Game 7 between the Cavs and the Warriors. I mean, those it just seems like a collision course. I keep, I keep looking at the standings. You know, I'm also looking to see where the Trailblazers are at right now. We're fifth in the lottery standings. But you keep looking up, and they just keep running away from teams in what was supposed to be the deepest Western Conference in, in history. But uh, Boy, has that, has that changed a little bit from yeah. what we probably all thought at the beginning of the season. I mean... New Orleans is nowhere no, near. I'm telling I'm sorry. you, you need sorry, to tell But oh. that, but we did. We we figured most people had New Orleans in a in a seven eight spot, not a contender, but getting better. Houston is just a shell. I don't know what's going on with them, and they, they just lost to the Celtics. Lost again tonight. Didn't Dallas just, is probably lost a little, by sixteen. Yeah, Dallas well, is probably it, a little better than we thought. Well, I mean, they were down by thirty, except. The Terrence Jones, Marcus Thornton, Clint Capella lineup got him back into the game. You know, Clint Capella keeps doing that, and I don't know how that guy is. It is it is it because he's playing off of Harden and gets a lot of open shots? Because every time I tune into a game, it's the Clint Capella All Star game, and yet you check his stats for the season, and he's like five and three. So I don't know what's going on. It's just the games I watch. Oh, I, I watch a lot because of DFS and. I just see 100% effort with him. It's all effort. He blocks shots, he gets rebounds, and if he gets offensive rebounds, he puts it up. That's what Clint Fella does, at least from what I've seen, and I think I've watched every Houston game. And, you know, a lot of these Western Conference teams, they've already, they need to start fighting for second place. Like I said, Golden State's just out and about. I would have never guessed OKC would be 6-5, and five. the Clippers 6-4, and four. Grizzlies, I mean, they've had to rally just to get to 500. They've had to win three straight games just to get to 6-6. Six and six. And then, of course, the Rockets, 4-7. and seven. So everybody's playing catch-up, and the West is going to go through the Bay Area. And as much as I love uh, Rip City right now, that's probably the loudest arena in basketball just because of, of how well they're playing. And, you know, when you're playing well, fans feed off of that. So it's going to be a tough task for everybody. It's not a wins and losses season for the Trailblazers. What stood out to you guys over these over these four games? I mean, I've got what stood out to me most, but I kind of want to get your takes on this. I thought Crab's play was pretty impressive. Well, he was playing pretty good defense. I think I might be right about that Crab getting more minutes than Mo Harkless thing. I, I think they're going to split. I think Henderson's actually going to be the odd man out. They're both playing very well. It's hard to get a dude who has a career of 15 per out of the lineup, but... It might happen. I mean, I'm only saying that because of Henderson's age. He's a, he's a little bit older. Um, you kind of know what you're going to get from him, so he doesn't have the potential. For this team, you really have to go for, for the gold. To just are, you swing. Really, are you going for the royal jelly of the young guys? Maybe you have they to. Show- but, I mean, like you said, crap, last seven games, 11 points, shooting 60% from the field. That's the crap we saw in the preseason when he went off against Golden State. His stroke is pure, but... Keep an eye on him. Even if we're winning or losing, let's let's see if he can keep up these these numbers. I made a comparison to Martel Webster early on the podcast. I kind of want to see Larry. Um, do you see that where he's just like really high, but then really low, just pure shot? But it seems like he's a little inconsistent. Well, and he has. And if you just look at the last four games, I mean the the two games in the middle, 
he's 13 for 16. The bookend games, he's 2 for 10. So it's he's either it seems like he's got it. It gives him some confidence. He plays better defense. He shoots more in or he doesn't have it and it's kind of off for the entire night. And this listen, this is the first time he's really gotten run at all. So I think that'll smooth out as the season goes along. I think you're right about Henderson. I I can't imagine him being here past the trade deadline. There's really not a spot for him. He's going to fit in better with a a contender that could use him off the bench. Teams are going to know that what he does the first half of this season isn't who he is, that he's better than that. It just doesn't fit for what Portland's doing right now. When he came into the San Antonio game last Wednesday, the first game, he looked really rusty. And to, to be fair, I mean, he hadn't in played. the first really half. Yeah, yeah. Well, no preseason, yeah. no practices. Preseason, really. coming off the hip injury. But then when he came in, he was hitting that mid-range jump shot. He showed his athleticism. To be honest, he looked exactly what I thought we were getting in Aaron Aflalo. And if we can turn him into a first-round pick like the Nuggets did to Aflalo, I, I think Olshay will, will take that and run. Because like you said, I see him as a sixth man for a contending team. For him, too, I want him to play for a contender. He's been in Charlotte his whole career. Now he's in Portland. Playoffs don't really seem like that's the ultimate goal. I'd like to see him get moved. I mean, when you're in the league for seven, eight years, it's time to, to earn your – not earn, but it's time to see what playoff basketball is all about. No, and he's he's one of the few that would bring some – if it was a first-round pick, it's going to be a, a later one. Or a protected uh, one, but at least get yeah. some sort of value from him. Right, absolutely. Get Get something for him. He probably doesn't fit here long term. They're going to play the younger guys. You would you would think, although they might play him come January. You know, give him some run, pump his stats up a little bit to show teams. Oh hey, yeah, he can play. We just haven't been playing him because we've been playing the young guys. You got to get that showcase going mm-hmm. a little bit. A few Chris oh. Kamen, Gerald Henderson games in there. Oh man, speaking of Chris Kamen, am I the only one who just like does not want to see him play? He, I feel like he shoots the ball every single time he touches it. It's it's just like pass the ball, Chris. I feel like I've told you this when he went, when I saw him for that year in New Orleans. I told you how how he is. He shoots I'll give the ball. you the Chris, I'll give you the Chris Kamen if you give me the Alfred Camino. Absolutely not. No, 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 Dees. All right, no dice. but Chris Kamen <laughs> likes to shoot and he likes to dribble and he isn't that good at dribbling. No, he's not good at dribbling. And last year we put up with it because we were trying to contend. But right now it's just like. I would rather see Cliff Alexander making those mistakes. Ed Davis. Noah Vonley. Yeah, Noah, Noah, my, my other man crush. You know, I thank Kamen for what he's done with Myers. Um, he's been a fantastic asset. But like Henderson, I'd be surprised at if he was here past the deadline just because he is an expiring deal. What are your thoughts on that, Larry? I think Neil and he probably had a conversation before the season. Hey, Chris, can you mentor these guys? I'll take care of you come trade deadline. We'll get you to someone and, and you know, reward you for not playing a lot because you're not going to, and I'll try and get you on a playoff team come February. You know, I, I could easily see that conversation going down. But speaking of how he, you know, really mentored Myers Leonard, I feel like this team, the margin for error when any of their top eight players goes down is almost zero. Mm-hmm. And we've seen without Myers, there is just the defenses are collapsing a little bit more. Myers is actually a big part of this team with his ability to stretch the defense, that pick and roll and pick and pop. He was working with Dame. You know, he felt like he was really getting into a rhythm. So it was really frustrating for him and for us as fans to see him go down with that shoulder. And even more probably, I would say, baffling is nobody really knows the extent of this injury as well. It it sounds like it's not the worst 
kind of dislocation you could have had. But anytime you have one, you're more likely to have another one. So they're doing some strengthening. He did some shooting today. If it if it responds to that, he may be back in three or four weeks. If it comes out again, he'll almost have to have surgery. If it stays in, he can maybe strengthen it, see how it goes. Maybe he has surgery at the end of the season anyhow, because once it comes out, that it's just not made to come out. There's other things. Fingers and stuff can come in and out. Your shoulder can't. It sounds like he's doing okay, and, and it helps being young. Your recovery's faster. Agreed. And I really hope that because this is a contract year for Myers that he doesn't feel the need that, oh, I got to rush back out there. I got to prove you know, myself and that contract that that's what I'm worth. I hope that is definitely not going through his mindset. And I know the front office will be smart enough to say, Myers, you know, we're not going to hold this against you. You just need to take your time because you're still a young buck. Like This is just one season in a long line of many down the road. So just, you know, take your time. I believe he has the same injury as Eric Gordon did last year. And Eric yeah. Gordon took a three-week break, recovered it, and was the second in the NBA in three-pointers made. So let's hope it's just that. You know, it's a yeah. quick recovery because we need him. I mean, we've seen this. But it's a lot of treatment. I mean, you got to be careful about it. I mean, yeah. if Eric Gordon could come back from that similar injury... I'm hoping Myers can too. Well, and he was he was starting to play better too. I mean, he didn't look good the first few games, but the last two or three before they went out, he was looking more confident. He was shooting the ball better. Um, just you know, like the game had just slowed down again a little bit, like before. I think he came in trying to do too much a little bit, and then when it didn't work out, he's like, "Well, now what?" Got more comfortable, so hopefully it's it's not too long. He comes back. There's there's no permanent damage because you're right. I mean, he had just turned down that contract, which he got from the sounds of it a, a decently significant offer that he turned down and said, "Hey, I'm a, I'll take my chances." Yeah, and Sage and I were talking on the podcast a few episodes ago when he was struggling, and we didn't put the blame solely on him. We thought the coaches were kind of not giving him the benefit of, of the doubt with his skill set. Like, get this guy involved, get some creativity in the offense. And then it was almost incredible how the next night it was they were running the pick and pop. They were running more flare screens for him. Because a guy that mobile, you've got to get him involved. It just puts so much pressure on the defense. And if he gets any space, he's going to knock it down. I mean, he was 50-40-90 last year. So, you know, Myers, get better. With injury, is opportunity for some players. We've seen Noah Von Ley. Got his first start in Charlotte against his former team. I believe he had uh, nine points and six rebounds. Hit his first three-pointer of the season tonight in San Antonio. And overall, I thought he played really good defense. His his help defense is, is coming along for a player really in his rookie year. I like the potential he's shown. I'm glad Stotts gave him those crunch time minutes. And, you know, I just would like to see maybe a couple more plays ran for him in the same kind of method they did for Myers because he's got a good jump shot. And I think once he gets a rhythm, it's going to start dropping on a consistent basis. He, it was nice to see him get a three to go down, although I, I didn't doubt any of that. Some people have knocked him about his shooting, but every shot he's taken has been dead on, good rotation, good arc. It's just been long. He's mm. been probably a little hyped going in. He gets a wide open look. He's like, oh, hey, here's one I can knock down, and it's just a little bit long, but it, it's a good stroke. There's, there's nothing you would fix about his shot, his release, his rotation, so that's good. Um, he's in position. He's in the right position to get a lot of rebounds. Now, sometimes he's not getting those because he's in the same place that Plumlee is or Ed Davis is, but he's going to the right spots. His defense isn't bad. He got three fouls tonight. Two of those were clean blocks up high. He may have got down below, but absolutely clean up high. And the third one was 
kind of a rookie call where, hey, dude, sorry, that's Tim Duncan, so we're going to call the foul. (laughs) There's a lot of players that would never get that whistle blown on them. So it's coming with him. He certainly has skills. Listen, the Charlotte game, you pointed out he had nine and six. He should have had more than that. They took away one of the nicest big man moves you will probably see Uh, season long. That was not a charge. That was a great drive and a finger roll, which he switched what he was doing in midair. That it, that, there are no other Blazer big man that can do that. No. And there's not a lot of bigs in the league that can do that. So he has got skills. He's 20. It will come. But he's doing a lot of the little things right. He's just, yeah, it, it, it's not coming to him real quick just yet. But he's got the IQ. He's in the right spots. He's making some right reads. I, I'm not too worried about him. In fact, I like what I see. I do too, and I was just going to mention how well he puts the ball on the floor, and like you said, not many bigs in the NBA can do that. LaMarcus never could do that. Uh, I think Garnett is really one of the last great big men that I remember that can just put the ball on the floor from the top of the key, triple threat position, and I think in time with coaching, with more experience, if we can get him around the perimeter, maybe 15 feet around the basket, let him operate. He's already got great teammates to learn from. Myers and Mace can drop dimes with the best of them. So if he can just improve his vision a little bit, you know, he's still very young. Let's let's give him time, but I'm very excited for him. And, you know, I would still make that trade with Charlotte 10 times out of 10. Kudos to Nicholas Batum. He had 33 points on 11 of 19 shooting. He shot, hit six assists and five rebounds. That is the Batum we all knew was in there. He's just not as consistent. But, you know, good on him. I'm glad he's going to get a huge payday after this year in Charlotte. You know, Eastern Conference Player of the Week, something I never thought I would see from Batum. But he looks, for one, he didn't play international ball, so he's not hurt. And two, he just looks focused. And when you put those two together, he's got the raw talent to put these numbers up. Well, it would have been nice if he'd not played international ball one summer for Portland. I mean, come on. Is it any coincidence he didn't play international ball right before his contract Contract year? year. Absolutely not. So I'm glad he had a good night. You know, whether he gets his payday in Charlotte or goes somewhere else, I, I don't know if Charlotte's. I think he's gone. I think he's. I think they, yeah, I don't know that he stays there, and I think Portland may end up getting getting Vonley and Henderson and whatever they trade Henderson for for almost nothing. I don't think he stays, and if he does, fine, he'll get his payday. And when he does, do not be surprised if the Nick of old returns. Yeah, and that's that's another thing too. Even if he even if Batum does keep up this level of play, I think people need to realize a change of scenery can do a player good. Um, he was loved in Portland. His teammates loved him by all accounts. But like you said, we kept letting him play international ball. He kept getting hurt. The same things kept coming. He would have 30 points one night, three points the next. That was just going to keep happening. A change of scenery can do um, do a player good. Um, and it's like he had the ball in his hands more than he ever did in Portland. Like, Because his usage rate is... Uh, is much higher than it. Well, he's their he's their number two in Charlotte. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. Al Jeff. I mean, and well, they're, and they're, yeah, they're using him much more like how France uses him in international exactly. ball. And it's not that he didn't have that opportunity. Now, certainly, he wasn't going to get the shots. Aldridge was going to demand his. Lillard was going to demand his. But they ran a lot of offense through Nick. Nick could have been more aggressive and, and taken more shots. I mean, there were nights when Aldridge was out and, you know, an injury here and there. There was a game specifically, and I forget who they played. It might have been Phoenix. 
But there was a game where they had two or three starters out, and so it's like, hey, Nick, this is your show, take over. And he went like one for five. I mean, he just didn't show up at all. So it's like, all right, you had nothing but a green light all night long and did nothing with it. I mean, I look back to that series against the Rockets. I think that was peak Nick in Portland. Some 15 points, eight rebounds, five assists. I mean, that's what I was hoping we would get from him last year. Completely outplayed Parsons. But like you said, I mean, just a little too inconsistent. Glad we got Von Ley. But another kind of diamond in the rough that Olshay found, Cliff Alexander made his debut on Sunday in Charlotte, and he was the only Blazer who played at least a minute that had a positive plus minus. It was plus eight. I mean, I saw a player who doesn't have the most skill, but the effort is there. And as a fan, I love the way he set those screens. I've been tired of watching our bigs like slip screens. I mean, in the past with McMillan as, as the coach, but he was setting some bone jarring screens. He, he obliterated, absolutely cleaned the clock of some little nondescript guard that was, I mean, he just crushed him. I mean, the guy fell back. It was a completely clean screen. There was no call. He does set a good screen. He is a big physical imposing presence, but then the blazer guards have to use those screens and they do not use them well. You watch blazer guards coming around a screen and they leave a big gap and the blazers get a lot of offensive foul calls on screen setting mm. because the bigs having to move over mm. to try and, and shrink that gap. So it cuts off the trailing guard and they're just not doing it. I mean, you, Tony Parker climbs inside Tim Duncan's uniform on a screen when he goes around I mean, he, they rub off each other. CJ and Dame don't do that. They come around, they, they don't come that close, and it gives the guy an opportunity to get through, which is problematic enough because you know the big guy's going to edge because everyone's going to pinch the blazer point guards, whoever's got the ball. Do you think that's on the players, or do you think that's a coaching strategy or scheme from Stotts? I think that's a coaching thing. It's been that way for a while now. They, the Blazers, I mean, the last, I can't think of the last time the Blazers had a good screen setter that they used. I mean, you might have to go back to Joel Prisbill and Nick Van Exel. I mean, it's yeah. been a long time. Yeah. So they've, they've got to tighten that up. I mean, use use that screen for what it is, but really make it work. Don't leave room. And then really Dive hard to the basket. You see a lot of big guys hedging out on the blazer point guards, especially Dame. Dame's got to attack that. That point guard's moving out. If he goes right at that guy, it's going to be a foul every time. It'll stop the guy from doing it. And then the blazer big has got to roll hard to the basket. And a lot of times, because the screen isn't good the first time, they'll turn around and reset another screen, and they'll just go back and forth up top. No one's diving to the rim and for as many guys on this team as can jump out of the gym I thought we would see more lobs more balls going towards the hoop for dunk you're not seeing any no and that's when the blazer offense bogs down is when it just gets the one-on-one and they kind of they're running around with like chickens with their with their heads cut off when they're clicking the ball is swinging from side to side and you've got movement back door particularly especially with those bigs dropping those passes You've got the point guard setting everything up off of the dribble penetration, whether it's kicking it out for a three or back to the big man. It is such a huge turnover from last year. So many new guys, and we are only 12 games into the season. 
So hopefully the chemistry builds. I mean, this does take time. A lot of these plays we're talking about, you have to know when that player is going to go mm. back door because you have to make that pass before he's open. Otherwise, in the NBA, the defense is too good. They're too quick, and they react too – I mean, they're just too quick. So you have to really anticipate. Despite all that, despite the losing streak, I feel like they never give up. And I thought the perfect game that embodied that was the Memphis game. Yep. We were down 10 points with, what, four minutes to go in the grindhouse – I really thought that game was completely over, especially with our history there. Watching the playoffs there last year where a 10-point lead felt like 20. They, they just kept fighting. You know, Aminu hit that big three, and I was like, we finally got this win. And then Zach happens, and I just feel like they're losing in heartbreaking fashion, yet they keep fighting and they keep fighting. Do you think they're going to be able to, to keep this, you know, this, uh, this scrappy nature throughout 82 games? I think this is where you find out how good of a leader Damian Lillard is. And I'm not questioning his leadership at all, but it's going to take a monumental effort for him as the losses pile up, which I, I think we all think that they will. As they mount, how, do, how does he – and Stotts. I mean, certainly you know, the, the coach plays into that a lot, but you know, good teams are led by that, that leader on the court. And Dame's going to have his work cut out. I mean, tonight, he absolutely showed up. He played like he didn't want to lose. Now, they were outmanned. They shot horribly. But it wasn't because Dame gave up. He came out. He's going to have to lead by example, keep these guys going, keep them trying. I don't expect a lot of wins. And, and I don't think they're going to necessarily tank. But I think they're going to lose a lot of games without trying to tank. Just because of the rotation that you talked about because they are so young, because they're getting a feel for this. But that's good. This is the season for it. Let those guys get court time. Let them figure out who they are, what they've got, see what you have out there, build around that this summer when, you know, you're going to lose. Henderson will be gone. Kamen will be gone. You know, there's going to be – He's a veteran. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy to say in, in his fourth year, but he's going to be the veteran on this team. I mean, he is, I think he is showing that leadership you're talking about. He, you know, from all accounts, just had a jacked up thumb after that first San Antonio game, and it really affected his shooting. But I, I thought he did a good job of not jacking up threes when he knew they weren't going in. He was passing them off. Um, it was a bummer that the, the nail happened because, you know, you're already without Myers, and then you have your best player hurt. It's kind of tough to go into a place like Memphis and win, but that, that game was just ready-made for a Blazer victory. It was the only time this year they've lost when they've won the rebounding battle, and I don't think they're ever going to shoot better at the free-throw line than they did that night. 26 of 29 um, for a team struggling at the line. I mean, they did completely the opposite that game. I mean, it's just, you know, you got the Detroit loss, and then you've got this at the buzzer. I just hope they continue to fight through it. But, you know... We are optimists on this podcast, and one thing I would like to to, um, to bring up is Mason Plumley. The guy remembered how to shoot free throws. He started the season six of twenty five. That's twenty four percent over the first seven games. And every time he's at the line, my wife and I are just like, you know, two bricks. Like we would just groan every time he would get fouled. Last five games, though, seventeen of twenty three for seventy four percent. Strokes looking a little bit better. That makes me feel good because I feel like Plumlee is probably going to be the center of the future. And Portland has always had centers that could make free throws. You go back to Duckworth and Sabonis, Prisbilla, um, Rolo. 
just our bigs have been able to knock down free throws. So it was really weird for me to see, you know, a center just go up there and throw up two bricks each time. But thank you to the assistant that's been working with Mason. Thank you to Mace for putting in that time. It's definitely paying off. And as a big, he's going to get fouled. So it's important that you knock down your free throws. Well, apparently that is Jay Triano that's been putting in a lot of the time. Um, absolutely a huge turnaround for him. And, and reportedly, he shoots it well in practice. So now some people shoot it well in practice, <coughs> Luke Babbitt, and it doesn't <laughs> translate to the floor. You're but, starting small forward, Sage. <laughs> no, Alonzo G's are starting small forward. <laughs> and you're happy about that? Absolutely not. <laughs> So, uh, you know, it's it's nice to see that translate, and if it, if it can translate to the court when he can do it in practice, then great, because he's going to need to hit free throws because he doesn't shoot outside of three feet. So teams are going to foul him. If he can make free throws, that opens it up for, all right, hey, we got to let him, let we can't just, ha- you know, hack a plum or whatever. I worry a little bit more about Davis. He doesn't shoot it real well. But if, if Plumlee can shoot it well, the rest of the team isn't that bad. Not as good as last year, but as they get a little more confidence, that will help them down the stretch. Free throws are huge down the stretch. You look at any team that's good, they hit their free throws down the stretch. And like the great Bill Shonley said, you've got to make your free throws. Free throws. That's right. On this podcast, Sage and I have both kind of been, been on the bandwagon of Damian and C.J., having to score 50 combined a night for this team to win. Um, it feels like in the wins, one of the two just goes off. But I don't think outside of that Utah game where they outscored that Jazz backcourt 62-16, to 16, that they've just been in sync. Do you think that's coming over the last seven – or over, during the six-game losing streak, they're only combining for 42. They're both shooting 41%, and neither is shooting over 33% from three. I think as the Blazers go, Damon CJ goes, or the opposite, whichever one makes sense. It's a little bit late on the West Coast right now. So for those of you who know uh, when we're podcasting, but I think those two have to get 50 for for the team to win. I mean, Do you see them finally getting on the same page, or is it just going to have to be one or the other? I think, they'll, I think they'll get on the same page a little bit, but I think before they do that, they're going to have to incorporate their teammates – more. It's too easy to shut the Blazers down in the fourth quarter. You've seen that. Teams will kind of play with it for three quarters, and then the fourth quarter comes, and they'll just blitz that pick and roll. They'll throw two or three guys at whoever's got the ball, and sometimes they'll still try and shoot it. I mean, I don't know how many attempts I saw in the fourth quarter tonight where it was Dame or CJ almost one on three with some other guys open. They're going to have to learn when they get double teamed whether that's Stotts incorporating this, getting that out of a double team in a hurry, hurry and getting that to someone with an open shot, reversing the ball to where it makes the other team go, okay, we can't do that anymore. We're giving up wide open shots. We're giving up lay-ins. We're giving up lobs. We can't do that. Right now they're playing into that. So even if they get 50, I don't think that really helps them because they're not getting the rest of the team involved. And Aminu needs help being involved. He cannot go one on five and create. It doesn't work well. He's Plumlee good too. when he's, Plumlee he's needs good. to stop that too. Yeah. He's good when he's a complimentary player. He's got a little better shot than what I thought, but they're missing a lot of wide open guys trying to be that fifty point a night duo. 
and they're they're just they're not there yet. And I and I don't know that they ever would be. I don't a, a smallish backcourt really outside of Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars has just never worked. And that includes Monte Ellis and Steph Curry, who you would think is far ahead of Dame and CJ in terms of offensive ability. You know, they are they are the second leading backcourt scoring duo in the NBA. I think my take on when they get 50 is it's usually in a more efficient manner. They're not having to use a, such a high usage or such a high high volume of shots, and that's usually when they're getting the teammates involved. But I do agree. I noticed this in Charlotte that Damon CJ were 14 of 43 combined while the rest of the team was 21 of 46. Um, I, too, would like to see them get the teammates involved a little bit more. Aminu, Crab, Harkless all can hit the three. Plumlee and Davis are fantastic around the rim, so there are options. Even in a season like this, just make the extra pass and let's see if that guy can make the shot. Otherwise, you know, we'll never really know. Well, they're going to have to. You look at the box score tonight, there was only three players that had more than three field goals. That's not going to beat anybody. No. No. Because it's too easy to defend at the end of a game, and then if they do pass out of it, you're giving it to a guy who hasn't shot all game long. He has no rhythm. So, so they're going to have to – I mean, it's a growing process. You know, These are all brand-new guys. Yeah, I, I brand-new roles too. Yeah. Everyone's in a brand-new role as well. I think this is a great transition into some mail time. You know, we put out that we're going to have you on the podcast. Um, we got a lot of great questions, so I'll fire them off. I want all your guys' take. Um, let's start with one of our super fans. Long story, longer. Um, great. She actually had two questions. I thought both of them were fantastic. The first one: What is most important for good defense? Is it smart aggressiveness, general basketball IQ? You know, watching tape so you're prepared prepared for a specific team. You know what what makes a great defensive player? Player or like team? I think both. I think it goes kind of hand in hand. I I think there's it's a lot of scheme. You know, you and I think that's coaching. I think you you look at what Tom Thibodeau did in Boston with not a lot of great defensive players. He did have Garnett, he did have Rondo, but he had guys like Brian Scalabrini and Paul Pierce. And I mean, there, there were some guys on that team that have never been known for their defense. That Ray, turned Allen into, too. Ray Allen that, that, that turned into a very, very good defensive team. And same with Chicago. I mean, Noah is a good defensive player. They've got some other guys that are okay, but he, he turned a team that, was racked with injuries and it did not matter who was on the court. They played suffocating defense night in and night out. So I, I think it's more of a scheme thing where, you, where you've got so much videotape and you can, there's a lot of guys in the NBA that can't do certain things. And you, you watch Tibbs's teams, kind of this amoeba, everyone's facing the ball wherever they go. You know, they really collapse on it. They, they try and take away options one and two every time down the court, make you go to option three. So I think a good coach can turn a, a player who's not great at defense into a good team defensive player. You know, I think that answer pretty much you yeah. know, sums, sums it up. I would say from a, an individual perspective, I think you have to have a good general basketball knowledge to put those concepts into place from a Tibbs, like knowing who's your options, what you need to do in situations A or B. So just, you know, watching a lot of tape along with the coaches, knowing player tendencies. Um, Defense is one thing that you can just do on effort. I mean, it's it's great if you have Kawhi length, 
Colbert length. But if you just have that intensity and a will and a want to stop the other man from scoring, that will go a long way. So I want to get to this next question from Long Story Longer. So there's a lot we need to work on. What's the most important thing for the team to start with? Defense. So if you're, you think defense? Yes. See, I think it's ball movement. Ooh. Because, like we were saying, the Portland is too easy to stop when you've got Dame and CJ maybe trying to do it all themselves. And I don't blame them because they are the best players on the team. However, when the team gave up that big lead in, in Los Angeles, that big lead against Detroit, they kind of panicked a little bit. Um, they got the ball into, they were, you know, Aminu and Harkless were dribbling the ball they shouldn't. I think the balls just need to get on a string and start making quicker decisions. Um, Unfortunately, that might take a little while because I think Myers is such a key key to this team with the way Stotts, a Stotts offense has to have a big guy who can pull the guy out. We saw it with Dirk and LaMarcus, so it probably could be a while until Myers gets back. But, Larry, what do you think um, the Blazers need to work on first? Like, What's number one on your priorities list? Well, you made a good point about the ball movement. If you, you look at any of these last six games – the ball movement for the first three quarters has been pretty good, and in the fourth quarter, it just disappears. Now, part of that's because teams trap that trap the point guard, whoever's got the ball, out top, and they blitz it, and they'll run it all the way out, and, and the Blazers haven't found a, a way to counteract that. Their defense, you know, I mean, that needs work, too. I mean, they how many times this year, just like last year, if you started off in the first quarter, the first half, a team shooting over 60%. Now, not tonight obviously, but that's happened quite a bit as well. And I think the Blazers have some good players. I think Ed Davis is a good defensive player. Aminu obviously is. I think Crab is. I think Harkless can be. Gerald Henderson isn't bad. I mean, there's some decent individual defensive players. Dame is, is getting better. I mean, Now, point guard in the NBA is the hardest position in the NBA to guard. So you're never going to have a point guard shut down another one. They're just... Offense is going to win the the rules. You can't even have Jordan rules anymore. Half of half of what Detroit did to Jordan is outlawed. You can't do that anymore. So they need they need to work on that. I, you, you know, one's going to feed the other. If it's their offense, their ball movement, and they get good shots, they're going to play better defense. Mm. If they get stops on defense, they're going to get well. We would hope some easier buckets. This team, for as athletic as they are, gets very few transition points. They get very few turnovers. They don't pressure much. So, you know, to, to pin that down to one, sorry for sorry for the question. I don't know that there is one. There, there's a lot, lot to go. But going back to the transition points and trying to pressure and force turnovers, that's something I've wanted to see them do, you know, even with last year's roster. I think Stotts plays a more conservative approach on defense, almost like the Oregon Ducks, a bend but don't break. However, I'm of the mind that, you've got to keep the defense or the offense guessing. Send a double team once in a while from different angles. Maybe try uh, to trap the ball handler like teams do with Lillard. Um, just keep them guessing because if, if, as an offense, I know you're never going to double team me or trap me, you can pretty much run your offense without hesitation or you know, any worry of anything you know, foreign coming your way. I mean, with the athletes we have, hedging on screens, we should utilize that a little bit more. Did a quick Google... Blazers are the 26th ranked defense in the NBA. Guess who the 30th is? Too many Smoothie Kings at the halftime, buddy. Oh, <laughs> Watching them play defense in the second half, I would put alcohol in that smoothie. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, I, I think you're right. You know, every once in a while with the length and the athleticism they have, mixing it up a little bit, you know, throwing in a trap here and there, a pressure, especially with you with the second team when the bench is in there, throwing some pressure at them, and once in a while changing some things up. I mean, that Detroit game, did they double team Drummond one time? No, no. I, no. Or did they did they switch Amin, did they switch Aminu onto Reggie Jackson one time? It it didn't happen, and so I'm that's where I'm looking to Stotts going. Come on, if it you know the definition of insanity, same thing over and over again. That was not working. That that game was. And Drummond is not a passer. No, no he cannot pass. He's like Al Jefferson. It, he gets it and it doesn't go anywhere. He's not going to make the, the proper pass. As great as he's played, that is one flaw. And like we said on the last week's episode, it's something that they can't do. Yeah. You could almost say that's like Chris Kamen. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. We've got a question from Rip City 2, the forums from Fonz, the CPT1. He says, with all the changes during the offseason, it is to be expected that not all players have a future here. Through nearly a dozen games, who do you feel has staying power with this team? And do you think we should give minutes to players who might not be around the season, Henderson or Kamen, rather than the young guys who could have a future here, like Harkless or Von Lay? So we've touched on this a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure we all would agree that we would like to give the minutes to the younger players, but I think his first question has more of a, maybe a debate. So who of the young players do you, do you see has staying power with this team? Well, they haven't won a game since the last time Luis Montero played. So <laughs> take that for what it's worth. <laughs> One that might not be universally well liked. I don't know that CJ is a long-term player Not that he's not good, not that he's not going to produce. I still think CJ's best role is as a six-man, and if he's he's up to take that on, great. If he's not, I, I just don't see him as a starting two guard on a contending playoff team, and therefore, if he's really good and you can get something out of him, Maybe that's the way he helps the Blazers long term. I think he's too much of a duplication of Dame. So I, I, I love CJ. I love what he can do. This is not an anti-CJ thing. I'm just not sure that that fits here long term next to Dame. My dude. Oh, but do you I'm, think I'm going to hear? I'm going to get all sorts of flack for that, but that's all right. No, no, no it's I, perfect. I I agree with you wholeheartedly. What I'm trying to to talk about is. Jason Quick had an article about the relationship that Dame and CJ have. Yeah. And, you know, Dame is the franchise. Um, I know Dame would never put the franchise in jeopardy over a friendship, but when you do start to build a bond like that, I mean, to me, the trade would have to be pretty outstanding to even consider CJ because he's leaps and bounds our second best player. And we do have a lot of free agency money coming in, possibly a top, hopefully a top four pick in the draft. Um, but, you know, I think you do make a fair point. To me, staying power, I, I think Vonley. Um, you don't trade Batum for, you know, a lottery pick and just give up on him. So all the rumors I've seen that have him going places, uh, again, unless you're getting a guy like Cousins back, I, I don't see that happening. I think they're really in love with Vonley. And, you know, I think they like Aminu a whole lot. 
No, and and I'm and I'm not saying that that CJ is gone at the trade deadline or even yeah. this summer. I'm just I, I don't know if two, you know a couple of years down the road. But Dame is obviously one. I, I think Aminu is in that. Uh, Vonleh, probably Myers. Yeah, and, I think they want Myers. And there's your, you know, is that really your your core four that you build around? You know, get a good lottery pick and then have some guys that are not that Ed Davis isn't here is, you know, as a great backup off, off the bench. Um, maybe crab is a, is a backup guy off the bench long-term, but, but in terms of guys that are going to be who you are really building around that, let's say you've got four guys who are like, we need that Buck Williams fifth guy to come in here and put us over the top. You know, a couple years down the road, those far, those four guys could be pretty good. Yeah. It's, I mean, and I, I, I've been kind of championing the fact that I think Olshay is lining up all these assets to make a Chris Paul-type trade for the Trailblazers. Um, and if he does, I think you're going to have to give up everybody but Damian to get that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he brought CB3 to Los Angeles. I don't know if it'll happen this year, but the team does have cap space to take on a contract. They are building assets. Um, but I, I, you know, look for him. I think... I think he's going to make a, a move. He's probably one of the best GMs in the game today. So, like I said in the last podcast, in Olshay, I trust. Did I cut that out? No. Okay, but I just, cool. Like, yeah, I think he's. A, I think he's a hell of a GM. Um, not really. Not really worried about where the franchise is. You don't have to worry about him trading the lottery pick for a guy like Gerald Wallace. You know, <laughs> Billy King. Sorry. But uh, we have another question from Superfan Kim at Kim Thrasher Eleven. This game sucked my heart right out, but there's a possibility we beat Houston. Yes, I, I wouldn't have said that before this trip, but Houston is in shambles right now. Dwight Howard is hurt. The Ty Lawson James Harden backcourt just has not really flourished, and there's a vine going around the internet of Ray Felton of all people just toying through that defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are a wreck right now. If Portland can just come with a mindset of finishing off this road trip strong, I think they have a better than 50% chance of winning in Houston. Um, The one thing I would worry about is James Harden. He gets to the line like nobody's business. Uh, We saw what happened in Charlotte when a guy like Aminu picked up 3,005 minutes. If that happens to CJ, that could throw a whole loop into the game plan. So if Portland can stay out of trouble, I really do like their chances against Houston. Um, When do you see the next win coming? When do you see the losing streak ending? Houston, uh, like you said, Houston is is more of an opportunity for a win than I think any of us thought, especially at the end of of, of a road trip, a tough road trip. Um, if they don't win that one, I don't think they beat the Clippers. And after that, I think you've got the Lakers, which yep. it's, 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 it's always nice. I don't care where the Lakers are at. It's nice to beat up on them. So that's probably, you know, Aminu has gotten in some early foul trouble, but if you look at his career highlights, the one really, really good offensive player that he D's up as well as any other in the league is James Harden. Now, Harden's still going to score and he's going to get his points, but somehow Aminu, I don't know if it was a Texas thing or what, but he kind of seemed to take that personally and gave him as, as difficult a time as, as anyone else. Yeah, you know, you look at it, we've got Houston um, Wednesday, the Clippers home for Friday, which is essentially another road game off of the road trip. 
Um, then you go at the Lakers on Sunday, and you're rewarded with the Bulls for a one-game, you know. No, not a one-game. We got the Lakers coming up. So you got the Bulls and the Lakers. So I, I think if you don't get Houston or the Lakers this week, you might have to wait till next Saturday the 28th for a win. So for all of Rip City, for all the fans, I really hope we can get a win, um, you know, in Houston. I think they'll get the Lakers. I think they'll get that win. The first one? Yep. And I don't know. I think the Rockets, I I imagine they're they're a good team and they're pissed. So maybe they actually play well. but. But they just let Boston run right all over them. So we do have those three games. Each week on the podcast, we kind of go over them and give our predictions. We were wrong last week. We thought we would get that first one in Portland against San Antonio. Ended up going 0-4. So I just tossed it to you. If you just want to give your predictions over those next three games, uh, 0-3, 1 and 3. 1-2. Uh, they they have to. They gotta win a game in there somewhere. And whether that's the whether that's the Houston game or the Laker game, and I know both of those are on the road, but I think they're gonna get one of those. You know, I'm actually gonna say I'll say one and two. I think the win comes in Houston. I think the Lakers, for whatever reason, I've got that feeling like I did against the Pistons, um, like, I did, like I did against the Hornets. I just think they're going to beat us, um, as gross as that sounds. The Clippers, you really never know what you're going to get with them. However, if Chris Paul is out that game, I think we could win that one. Um, he's missed the last few. Um, they haven't looked particularly tough. So I could see two and one. Again, I kind of want to see more out of this team in terms of, you know, they're definitely giving us the heart and the hustle, which I love and appreciate, but you kind of want to see more results. So I will go one and two. I think the win will come in Houston. What do you say, Sage? I, I'm i going to say two and one. You know, I was leaning that way, but I was I didn't want to agree I with think, you. I think, I think Marcus Thornton is going to be the X factor in the Houston game. He kills the Blazers. And I think we'll beat the Lakers. So nobody sees the Clippers as a possible win because I think that could be that second win if Chris Paul doesn't play. Well, we got. I mean, if Chris Paul's out, it's a possibility, but yeah. we, 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 it, we don't know. We don't have that I mean, information. Because Dame on Austin Rivers is lunch meat. Yeah, that that would not that wouldn't go well for the Clippers. I think, especially Blazers being home, probably frustrated after a tough road trip. Although that first game back is always tough. But yeah, if Paul's out. But if Paul plays, he has he has dominated Dame like few other point guards in the league, especially in crunch time. Not that Dame doesn't get his, but when it comes down to the end of a game, somehow Paul just Paul's kind of turned Dame inside out. And and you know, I mean, you know, you're going to get Doc Rivers screaming and berating the refs the whole time and trying to get in their heads. That's that's just it's not a good matchup for the Blazers. No, and I mentioned this last week that. Every time we played the Clippers recently, whether it was last last spring when we had that big 17-point lead when Chris had 40 and 20 or that 35-point comeback that they had on us, we just did not make Chris Paul give up the ball in a difficult situation. We just let him run that pick and roll. We switched like we did, didn't hedge out enough. He is the Hall of Fame player. We cannot make it that easy on him, and I think that's why he's been able to do so well against Lillard is because we're not – sending a trap or trying to get the ball out of his hands. They're trying to take the ball out of our best player's hands. I think we should do the same. I know they've got a couple shooters. Um, Blake and DeAndre are actually really good passers, but I would rather have somebody else beat me than one of the best two or three-point guards in the NBA. And they don't have that second ball handler at all. So if you get the ball out of his hands, it's Blake Griffin initiating that offense. You know, I'll let 
Paul Pierce or Lance Stevenson or Austin Rivers dribble all they want. I think if you can just keep DeAndre off the glass and um, don't let Jamal Crawford beat us for whatever reason, he likes having big games against us as well. Um, I think Portland could sneak that one. So I'm on the fence. I really want to go two and one, but I just want to see a little bit more. So I'll, t- I'll take the easy way out and I'll say one and two. Um, that about wraps it up for our fan questions. Before we sign off, I want to know if you, Larry, have been watching any early highlights of these prospects. I know I text Sage daily. Um, I troll him pretty good. I, I troll him because he, I care. Uh, he acts like a nice guy in the podcast. <laughs> he, he acts like a nice guy on social media. But he is a he's a little jerk when he wants to be a troll. <laughs> the Pelicans lost to the Knicks, and instantly I got a text message saying, come on, bro. It was uh, like, question mark, is your team all right? Um, no, of course not. We're playing Ish Smith the fourth most amount of minutes. You know, on my lunch break at work today, I actually went to tankathon.com and clicked and, you know, kind of got lost in that rabbit hole. And I saw the Blazers got the first pick and the Pelicans were the second. So I screenshotted that and sent it to him and just was like, hey, dream scenario, huh, buddy? I'll take so, that. So you, LSU is your uh, – Ben Simmons is there. From what I've seen, he's living up to the hype. I love big guys that can run the break and pass with ease vision that he, he definitely is a prize. You know, this may be a terrible season, but he definitely is a prize. His vision on offense, he delivers passes like a very good point guard, moving his head. So the defender thinks he's going one way, then dishes it the other for easy layups. I mean, those behind the back passes are sweet. Who does he remind you of? Because I sort of think Lamar, Lamar Odom. I also Lamar like, Odom in the open court, I can see. I, I still need to see more. I haven't been able to watch a full game. Um, he is playing you know, a bunch of, of easy squads right now, but he's putting up numbers. Um, he's just unselfish. Um, I think that's probably going to be the one knock on him is come draft time when they're probably debating who should go one or two. Oh, he didn't take over enough or he wasn't selfish enough. You know, the kid's 18, 19 years old, playing for you know, an SEC school. He's he's fine. Like we, they knocked Drummond too, but Drummond never got the ball because the Yukon guards didn't pass it to him. So, as we mentioned before, don't take what we see now or what we see in March. Take it with a grain of salt. These guys still have so much room to grow. But Larry, who have you noticed so far? Well, I I just I trust all of my draft information to uh, a buddy of mine, D sixty nine, who you, I've, I've known for years from from. Way back in the hoops world days, his his track record as as far as picking the right guy, especially come when Portland would pick, has been ridiculously good. And he, I've tr- kind of tracked this over the years for ten plus years now. What he's done, um, he really likes Ben Simmons. There's a couple of guys he. In fact, he thinks this draft is a little deeper, maybe than most guys do. That that I, I, I agree. That maybe the top top five could all be pretty good, and you know, it, it, listen. If Portland gets one of those picks, how nice will it be that they could come here and not have to be the savior? And and honestly, Dylan, same with New Orleans. I mean, you get a, a top pick coming in there. You've already got your guy. The pressure is not on him to rescue the franchise. You get a, a Ben Simmons in here with with someone like Dame, who's already can score. You get another guy that can handle, that can pass, that can set up teammates. This team gets good in a real hurry. And I know he's young. I know there's going to be an acclimation to the NBA. But his his court awareness, the different types of passes he can make off the dribble, 
touch passes, no look passes, on the move, half court offense, lobs. I mean, he he's got his size. There's obviously been comparisons to LeBron. He's not nearly at that athletic or that strong, but he has that court awareness. Um, and and for a big guy in the open court, you have to go back to probably like Lamar Odom. And this is sacrilege. He's not in this ballpark, but but Magic Johnson, you know, a big guy, not super quick, but great court awareness, great handles, makes good decisions in stride. And you put him around NBA players. Now you got to understand, he's making passes to guys that won't get drafted, no. and making them look good. He's going to have better defense, but he's going to have a lot better guys to pass to. I think he's going to be pretty good. I think. I, I, Ingram's going to be good. Murray's going to be good. Bender, I think, is going to be pretty good. Skull, I, I don't know. He, he's been a number one ranked player for a long time, but I don't know that he goes that high. So, am I, do I get it right, Sage? Labrissier? Labrassier? I don't know. I, I was hoping one of you guys would say it confidently so I would know how to pronounce it. I've heard it, it a couple times, but... You know, Wait, uh, there's no R right after the B. I, it's, I believe it's Labissier. Labissier, okay. Scal Labissier, but from what I saw, I love how he was able to, to move, um, switch hands for the hook shot. He seals his man deep in the paint. He's damn near unblockable with his length and the way his high release. If he can put on some weight like Gobert was able to, because we saw Gobert come into the draft, one of the reasons he slipped, he was just rail thin. You didn't know if he'd be able to put on weight to that frame if he can keep his mobility and that weight he's going to be uh you know that's those are a great one-two punch and like you said and there's even Jalen brown from cal so i think and there's always a guy there's you know a senior who's going to make a rise like chris dunn from providence and there's always a guy who comes out of nowhere and he's going to move his way up the draft i don't think many people saw you know frank kamitsky going nine or they saw Carl Anthony Towns going one at the beginning of the season. It was pretty much Okafor, Okafor. But, you know, that's the beauty of college basketball. I'm looking forward to watching a ton this year because, you know, it's going to be mock draft Mondays a lot of the times for Blazer fans. We're just going to have to see who they've got us taken. Fire up the YouTube. Um, check the channels whenever they're playing because, um, you know, we all love basketball. And even if the Blazers aren't winning, there is always a light at the end of the tunnel. So before we sign off, I want to say thank you again to Larry for joining us. Um, it's been great, guys. Thank you. Spitting the truth, man. Hope you had and, as much fun. And I will tell you, if, if you want to go look at some highlights, if you want to look at someone dunking and going to the basket with no regard for human life whatsoever, go watch some Jalen Brown highlights. He he can't do a lot. In fact, he almost reminds me a little bit of a young Clyde Drexler. doesn't shoot it real, real well outside, but he dunks on everyone. Um, and you were right about the draft. I mean, some of those guys uh, like Rudy Gobert, which my little draft guru guy had numbers. He had him as a top three talent in that draft. He he hit that dead on. There there always is someone that moves up. So did but he like Von Lay? He loved Von Lay. Back, okay. He had him so scouted at Indiana. Um, didn't think he would drop to, what, number nine? Loved Von Lay. And when he found out he was coming here, he just – he just kind of threw up his hand. He goes, you just, you watch. So he has been so right on. Even if he misses one, his his pick rate is ridiculously high. He loved Von Lay, so, which I liked him coming here. So I think that's music for all Blazers fans' ears. You know, this is what this season is about, development, watching the young guys grow. Larry, what's your handle? 
Yeah, yeah, give us your handle. I'm at TBPup22. All right. We can find you. Do you are you still on Real GM as well? Uh, occasionally. Not, I, I just don't have the time to be on them anymore, and, and even on sports too, it's, it's kind of hit or miss. But, but occasionally I'll go out there. But, it, you know, I, I love podcasts. I got to do a few last year. Um, it's great being on with you guys and, and you know, just getting a chance and, and answering questions that fans have. And we'll, we'll definitely have to have you guys out. We have, uh, we'll have Blazer get-togethers during the year or draft parties where yes. a lot of the stuff where you can't, you can't say on air, you can't say in public. Well, there's been some pretty good information that's come out in some of those. We used to do them when the Blazers had, and the Blazers will probably have one this year. Oh yeah, with the lottery pick, you got to have one, man. Yeah, but but uh, Billy Billy, who is a moderator on Real GM, he'll come. And he'll he'll tell you some of the stories of stuff that's gone on at some of those draft parties. Some of the stuff that we've had ahead of time that that even even the even the media guys up front didn't know we had it before them. It was it was good fun. Well, you know, we definitely cannot wait for that. Uh, again, thank you for joining us. Again, the Trailblazers have a three-game week this week, uh, Wednesday in Houston. You can catch that game at 5 p.m. They come back home for a, for a quick journey in Portland to take on the Clippers at 7, and then they hit the road once again to take on the Lake Show at Staples at 6.30 on Sunday. You can find this podcast on Stitcher and SoundCloud at Holy Backboard PDX. If you have any fan questions or want to follow us during the game on Twitter, you can find us at Holy Backboard and... Our email, again, is at holybackwardpdx at gmail.com. Sage, it's about Fargo time. I had a blast. Thank you again, Larry. Um, hey, great go, being on with you guys. If go you need, Trailblazers. If it's, you, it's all right, Rip City. We'll get through this. We've been, we've been down darker holes before. I mean, it's, it's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. It's just going to take a ways for us to get there. Rip City, if you want to learn about DraftKings or DFS, hit me up on my Twitter, The Sage. All right, guys. I think that'll wrap it up. Let's go!